Hello, welcome to the Dog Walker's Companion. I'm Tim Cornett of Life Coach for Dogs, uh, lifecoachfordogs.com. If you have any dog training issues uh, and want a positive in-home dog trainer, uh, look on the website, www.lifecoachfordogs.com. And starting this episode, uh, we have an affiliate link uh, that actually kind of ties in. It is for the BarkBox Super Chewer program. Click the link and uh, sign up for it and do all that stuff. It supports the show. Uh, the whole premise of this show is that it takes uh, it takes self-help premises. It takes dog training premises. We mish- mishmash them all together. I think everything is dog training. Living your life is dog training. And in reverse, <laughs> dog training te- tells you how to live your life. Today's topic is anxiety. Uh, general, general anxiety. It's a plague on the dog world and it's a plague on the person world. And we have two species, I think, experiencing the same anxiety to the same response, to the same stimuluses. And they're just being, they're, they're just being expressed in all sorts of way. So today we're going to talk about that. We're going to take 30 minutes, the appropriate dog walking time. And we're going to talk with our guest today and uh, give you something to think about on your dog walk. Uh, today's guest is jo- Joanna Hardis of JoannaHardis.com. Uh, you are a licensed independent social worker. First of all, hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. Uh, can you tell us what that means? The acronym is LISW, which I had to look that up. So that's why... Yeah. So what it means is that I have a master's degree in social work. Okay. That's great. Yeah. It, it doesn't tell you very much, but. You know, it kind of tells me a lot. I, I have I have social workers in my life, and we, we actually routinely talk about. My sister is a social worker in rural Kentucky. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. So, like, she's like. <laughs> she has a harder job than I do. She, Maybe than you, too. Oh, she certainly has a harder job than I do. We talk about it a lot of like, oh, we have actually kind of similar jobs where we go into somebody's home and, you know, talk about the issues that are that are plaguing them. Uh, her, her problems are at a much, much higher level higher scale, much higher stakes. Right. And I heard those dogs problems at a higher level. Yeah. Oh man, those Kentucky dog problems. Those dogs those are, are those are bad. <laughs> man, those <laughs> Yeah. No matter what your problem is, your meth house dog is gonna be way, way worse. Anxiety is like it's a lot. That's actually mostly of, of what I deal with. Uh, separation anxiety is probably the the most we deal with, but I'm actually going to put that aside for a um, a separate show when we go in on separation anxiety mm-hmm. specifically. The reason I asked you here was I I actually liked your Instagram feed. Thank uh, you. It's, it's a lot of information packed into an Instagram feed. It's uh, I it's a lot of clear information. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, so in your words, how would you describe anxiety? 
Well, that's a great question. And I start, I separate anxiety as a normal human emotion. So the first thing that I like to do is to normalize it because I think most people fear it, they resist it, and they pathologize it as something that's bad. It's normal like any other emotion. I also separate it from worry. Worry is the thinking piece. So I don't think my dog thinks. So he doesn't worry. I mean, you may tell me differently, but I don't think my dog worries and overthinks and ruminates. Oh, yeah. He does? Oh, yeah, they do. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't give him that much credit. No, because it's, it's, I think we're actually kind of getting to it. It's not so much that anxiety is such a high human function. It's not. It's a response to stimulus. Yes. Same thing, yes. which exactly. is what your dog has. Like their 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 processes might be a little right. a little different or the reactions might be a little different. Right. But I mean like anxiety, they're they're out of control of a situation that they're trying to get take control of. Yes. So I think of anxiety as the physical sensations and the feeling that's set off by our amygdala or threat response system. Okay. Okay. Now we're getting into it. What do you think? What are what are some of those responses on a on a physical level? So heart racing. Yeah, you might get sweaty. You might get cold. Stuff tingles. You might get GI problems. Mm-hmm. Your eyes die. Your pupils will dilate. Okay. You. Um, what else? Shortness of breath. Okay, that's definitely a sign in dogs. Right. Yeah. Um, those are the headache. Some people get foggy, their ears ring, they feel like they're out of their body, they're looking, they're looking, you know, at the world or at their at their body, that depersonalization. Yeah. Oh my god. There's no way to know if a dog experiences depersonalization. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Like, are they barking at themselves outside of their body? Wouldn't that be a trip? They're like, why are you barking at this mailman? I, I would wonder. My dog has an issue with the mailman. That's interesting. We're, we're, we'll, we'll come back to mm-hmm. that. Um, so, yeah. So it's all these, like, physical responses. What, I mean, what, when people come to you, what what threshold does that anxiety take to where it's like, I need to seek help? Well, oftentimes the people that come to me, they've waited a really long time until they're really, their quality of life is significant, it, it diminished, and they're spending hours a day struggling and resisting how they're feeling. So they may be having, they may have had something that they, something happened that they feared. And then they're for hours and hours experiencing these sensations and these, these racing thoughts about it. And then fears upon, of the fear of the having it happen again. So most of the time, people don't come to me until it's, you know, months or years down the road. So what, mm-hmm. what do you do? What do you do? What, how, how do you help? Well, and, and let me preface it. I'm not that smart. So I use evidence-based treatment. So I'm not making this stuff up. I, I, I look at what's been shown in research that works for the, for the majority of people, obviously not everybody. And then I translate it for people in a way that makes sense for them. So uh, we start with understanding. I believe people have to understand what's happening in their brain because people get really mystified by what goes on up there. So we do a lot of education about the brain, what's happening, what you have control over, what you don't have control over. 
I do a lot of mindfulness. Yeah, so I know I know we were saying before, like, oh, I wanted to put mindfulness on another episode, yeah. but this is actually kind of circling back to it. Yeah. Of mindfulness, like, as a part of anxiety. Yeah. Or anxiety relief. Because I believe people need good mental fitness. And part of good mental fitness cause is, my, is having mindful awareness. Because in order to treat anxiety, we have to train the brain to respond differently in those situations. So first we have to understand how the brain works. And then in order to, tr- to train it how we want it to respond, we have to be able to notice what's happening up there. How do you manage? Because, like, there's only so much we know about the brain. A lot of what you're doing is kind of hitting the wall as far as, like, the, the research that's out there. Like, the research that's out there is cutting edge as opposed to, like, 20, 30 years ago where, you know, you dealt with anxiety by tranquilizers or whatever. Yeah. Well, first it was tranquilizers, and then you stayed in the situation until the fear went down. Now we know that that doesn't work as well. Now we know we have to get people better at being uncomfortable. That's not so dissimilar to how I deal with a dog's anxiety as far as, like, making them making them stay with it. Uh I, I use the example. I don't want to be like a jerk stepdad. I, I want you, <laughs> I, I want you to be on the high dive and then convince yourself to jump in. But I'm not going to be the stump stepdad that just throws you in. Right. Does that make sense? It does. So I want people to get more comfortable with being uncomfortable and develop confidence that they can tolerate the sensations, the physical sensations, the feelings. The thoughts, and they don't have to. They don't have to do anything to make them stop, because what, where we are now in terms of science is we understand that most of we can't control the, our feelings. It's a mental event. Most of the stuff that we think we're, we're not in control of. We can control how we respond to it, but most of the, the stuff that comes in our mind is just automatic. I bristle against. We're not in control of our feelings. And I assume that's my hillbilly programming. But I had an immediate like, what do you mean we can't control our feelings? I haven't had one since 2001. (laughs) 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 Well, you may be really good at controlling them. Mm -hmm. But but a, a feeling is a mental event. So, so if you feel happy, that's a feeling. If you feel frustrated, I'm sure you felt feelings. You may not have felt intensity of feeling. Most people are masterful at avoiding fe- things that are unpleasant or uncomfortable. This is actually kind of where it ties into it do- it in, is? into dogs because as avoidance isn't uh, avoidance isn't the answer. You got correct, it. And, right? And this is actually kind of where I put. Where what I got from your Instagram feed. This is actually something that that you uh, touch on a lot. Mm-hmm. Of avoidance isn't the answer, uh, but then what's what is that line between between encouraging and and supporting and traumatizing? <laughs> well, it has to be the other person's. De- it has to be your decision or the other person's decision. It, so you can't force it. Just like you can't force the dog to do something, you can't force anybody to do something. Right. 
So it, so it's really about building up your confidence, your willingness to to do that, to do whatever it is you've been avoiding. What would be an example of like avoidance, of avoiding an anxiety? Oh my gosh. I just something that's You don't go to a party. Of. So you don't feel comfortable talking to people or you think they're going to pr- judge you so you don't go to a party. Okay, that's You don't like talking to people on the phone so you text. Oh my god. I thought that was a way of life now. That's interesting. Um well, for some people it is a way of life, but for people who are worried about being about stumbling over a word or about perceived as being socially awkward, it's it can be avoidance. It's the function of the behavior. That that makes a lot of sense. Uh, me and Jeremy, just as far as a uh, as a back history goes, we're we're both comics. We're both stand up comedians, uh-huh. which as you know, and I, I don't know if Jeremy can. Uh, he's probably super confident and didn't have any problems with it. But like, there is a there is a aspect of it of dealing with that anxiety and dealing with the failure and doing it bit by bit by bit. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you can't avoid it, but there's not not necessarily any reward out of it. Right. Um, sure. Or drink. So say you had to go do a show and you you had to drink before. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, that's that's actually a very, very common thing. Fair, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, and that's that's a very true thing. Uh, so, if somebody were in that position, like I can't do object A without like drinking first, or like you know smoking a bowl. Like mm-hmm. I can't do anything without that first. Uh, and they come to you. What would be, what would be the step one? What would be the step one of like? relieving the anxiety would it be to put down the drink or would it be to well and we're now else? trying the goal is never to relieve the anxiety the goal is to get is to get better at allowing it so the goal of treatment would be to allow the anxiety to be there and go on stage without smoking the bowl without taking the drink okay so we have to be clear about that from the start because if a person comes to me and they say, no, you know, my goal is, is that I want the anxiety gone. Well, that's just not going to happen. You're, because if you're going to resist it, it's just going to get bigger. What happens in the case where the anxiety actually is unmanageable for them? Uh, how, how do you, how would you break, break it down? Well, if and I have a lot of people that come to me and their symptoms are incredibly debilitating in the beginning, and we're you know I'm always a believer to be open minded about medication. If after you know if the person wants medication from the get go, great. You know I refer them to a psychiatrist. If they want to try to learn some skills to respond differently to the anxiety, great. That can help. If it looks like they can't get a foothold in therapy because of their anxiety, we revisit medication. Okay. Okay. That's, that's actually very, very interesting because we do live in a, we do live in a scientific age now where that sort of thing is possible. Right. Um, that is very interesting. And, and for some things, the data do, do show that medication alone is, is not going to, is not going to solve it. Therapy alone could, and therapy and medication can be very helpful. Nothing about me's gonna be the same. I'll change my way of living. 
how long have you been doing this kind of work? Uh, so I've been a therapist 25 years. This is my 25th year. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. feel really old. Um, and I've been I've had my own practice for a little over three years. Oh, that's great. Yes. That's great. Now, did you have any anxiety over uh, how did you manage your anxiety, I should say, or or how did you experience it over opening your own practice? I was so excited to get out of the job I was in, to be honest, that the, uh, the what I wanted was greater than the discomfort. Every time that I stressed out about not having clients, having too many hours, I honestly would remember how much I disliked how I felt when I was leaving my other job. That's <laughs> – I mean, that's that's awesome. Hey, it's true. But, but that's when we treat anxiety because it, it can be uncomfortable because we're learning how to be uncomfortable. The reason why you're doing it, your purpose has to be greater than the pain. How, how, how would you help somebody find that purpose if they're not – if it's not immediately available We to explore them? it. We explore, you know, what they have to gain from, from – um, Working up, working on their anxiety. What have they lost to to their anxiety? How would you encourage somebody to seek your services if if their say if their anxiety is not extreme? Like you're not you're not a person who mm-hmm. who but you're you're feeling it. You're you're feeling it, uh-huh. and it's coming. And I imagine that's a lot right now. It's it, it summons up some courage to walk out the door sometimes. We just had a mass a mass event here. Uh how would you experience somebody who isn't who isn't along th- in crisis? Who isn't in crisis to seek out your services and what can you what would be the benefit to the, not necessarily what would be the benefit to them, but why would it why would it behoove them to do mm-hmm. that? It's a great question. And I think it's a it speaks to a larger question, a larger issue that we have that we don't treat mental health like physical health. And if if we talked about – everybody talks about good – you know, how to have good physical fitness. And we have good physical fitness so that if we get ill, if we need surgery, we bounce back faster. You know, and if we talked about having good mental fitness and not waiting until there's a crisis – I think we would have a different dialogue around mental health. We could, we could have less stigma around seeking services earlier, and we could talk especially to kids early on about what goes into good good mental fitness. And, and we could say to people earlier, you know what? It might be helpful to learn some skills so you learn how to respond differently to what's going on. This is this is typical stuff. Everyone gets anxious. None of us learn how to respond to it. Most of what's out there is shit. It's garbage. So, you know, what you know, it could be really helpful for you. That's uh, that's really great. What about what about an anxious child? What if somebody were to bring their anxious child to them? What are some of the what are some of the coping skills or some of the management skills? Well, that's really interesting. And I stopped treating kids um, probably right around COVID. And I treat parents just like you treat dog. You probably train the tra- owners too. Yeah. I now work with parents to work with parents changing their behavior, which in turn it helps their child's anxiety. 
And they've done pretty rigorous research on it, and it's shown to be as effective as individual therapy for kids. I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. All the sense in the world. Because what else would that child's problem be? Well, no, 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 not well. It's it. I mean, it's not. We can't blame parents. Especially moms have been blamed for everything. So we can't, we don't want to blame parents because parents are part of the solution. Right. And a lot – are you – I'm suspecting you're not a parent. I'm not. Yeah. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, it's... yeah. So parents get the bad end of the stick. And, and moms especially, as I said, have been blamed for every mental illness. And there's just no data to support it. Maybe I'm – I mean, I have – maybe it's because I'm a mom. I say that too. Um, but it – I mean, it's anxiety especially impacts the whole system. Yeah. And so it makes sense to make the parents part of the solution. I mean, that definitely makes sense. Yeah. And, of course, you you never see an anxious child without generally an anxious parent. Yeah. Yeah, because it's a modeling behavior. Right. You know, that's – right. But my dog was born – I mean, he came to us anxious. That's did, interesting. Okay. Did I ruin him? Tim, no, no, not necessarily. <laughs> I wouldn't say that either. Um, how old were, How old was your dog when when you got him? Uh, four months. Okay, okay. So that's uh, that's a little. They they say about two months is where they start giving them away. And honestly, yeah, there's so much. There's so much early stuff uh, through dog training. Yeah, I, I have learned that's. The beginning is so important. It's it's so important. It really does make me want to go back through time and like talk to every parent that has ever uh-huh. been and be me like, too. the beginning is really important. You really got to set these things up for success. Me too. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, but that being said, four months is still pretty is still pretty young. Uh, what uh, what does your dog do? What what how uh, what are its uh, symptoms of anxiety? Oh gosh! Well, if he's startled, he'll nip. Okay, that's serious. It, 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 if someone comes into the house, generally men that mm-hmm. he do, that he hasn't had his greeting with, mm-hmm. he may nip them. Oh, that makes sense because it's uh-huh. like a controlling thing. Like something is out of control here, so I just I got to do what I can do to feel a sense of control. Mm-hmm. So that's. You know, it's like people. Like, how many ways can can uh, can anxiety manifest? It's because I don't have a handle of what's going on. It's a self soothing thing. What is what can a dog do? It can nip. It can bite. It can growl. But whatever you can do to feel a sense of control, that dog is going to do. Sure, that makes sense. So you know, and like nipping at people coming in, and like men, if you're not around a lot of men. You got big, hairy faces, deep voices, like everything. Sudden movements, sure. Sudden movements. Your breath smells like salami or whatever weird thing is going on. You're different, and I don't like it. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, how how you respond to something is, that's part of the game. That's part of the... Right. And, like, you know, and like you say, it's not like you don't want that anxiety to go away. That anxiety is... (laughs) That's a survival response. Right. You want a guard dog. You want somebody a dog who's paying attention. You just don't want one to necessarily uh, 
attack every man that comes through the door. Right. So in my work, I do exposures with people where once they understand how the brain works, they're able to be able to tolerate feelings. They approach what they're scared of. Mm-hmm. So I attempt I attempt to do that with my dog. Okay. Which, you know, so I had, I, well, I, I was really good with this for a while and then I got kind of lazy. Having different men come over mm-hmm. so he could get used to them. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's, I mean, that's solid reasoning. Did it work? No. Okay. <laughs> well, it did at the time, but then I got really inconsistent. You know, I would say the, the, the especially from a dog's point of view, and, and we are just speaking dogs now, is, uh. You know, with, with the nervous, the nervous entrances, I recommend putting the slip lead on the dog or the leash on the dog. I did. And keeping them with you until the vibe is kind of settled, you know, and it's mm-hmm. it's really more of an energy thing. So it's it's not so much that you're restraining the dog, but you're like, you know, you just got, you, you've got your hand on him. He's okay. He doesn't have to. There's nothing to be anxious over because you're the one that's in control. You've mm-hmm. taken that burden away from him, mm-hmm. which doesn't necessarily happen in human life. There's nobody to take the burden away. but in, Nor would we want that because we want the person to know that they can do it. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I guess in the dog case, it's like that responsibility is not on you. So relax. It is not your job to... To be a guard dog in this case. Okay. So it's like the no, it's okay, should be good enough. Uh, and in theory, in theory, that once everybody kind of calms down and then like, you know, you just kind of like drop the leash and then the dog goes, says hi. Uh-huh. And everybody's okay. So I had the right idea. Yeah, the right idea. is just like giving them, just taking that, just taking that like burden off of them. It is exposure. It's It's exposure to what you're... What you're avoiding. Right. I think that, and especially with dogs, like, oh, no, my dog, my dog doesn't like men, so I'm going to go move to a lesbian commune now and make sure he never sees one. No. You know, uh uh-oh, my dog doesn't like men. You can't come over. Uh Uh-oh, I got to meet you outside. My dog doesn't like men. No. And the problem... That that's just no way for the problem to get solved. That's just a good way for your dog to get really weird about men. Well, and I have a son. Yeah. Yeah. I imagine your son is probably okay because he's already gotten the pass. He's okay, but but Giggsy's had trouble with some of his friends. Mm. How old is your son? Eighteen. Ah, yeah, because like all of his friends are gorillas. And yeah. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh. Right. Yeah. yeah. And oh, I don't like that. Don't right. come in here with that energy. So if if right, because if they come over and I'm not there to put them on the leash and do the whole ritual, mm-hmm. he gets more nervous. Mm-hmm. Then it's for your son to do. For I'm just going <laughs> to put him on the leash. You my 18-year-old I know, son? I know. You think he's going to do that? Yeah, I will. I would have done it when I was 18, but I was a dog weirdo. So. Oh, he, he, there's no chance in hell he's doing it. You know. <laughs> I hope he never, he won't hear this. No, it's no. Like, yeah, he's 18. He's not listening to his mom's podcast. Hell no, yeah. He's off doing 18-year-old stuff, which right. is, you know. I don't want to know. Yeah. <laughs> those are good boundaries to have, and you should keep those. Thank yeah. you. They, I, have, I have no interest in knowing 
Oh, I, I actually ran into some friends over the weekend who I was 18 years old with. And we were talking stories of like how dumb and gross we were. It's like we weren't even human. Uh. <laughs> I see the gross and the dumb, but I don't want to know the others. Things. Yeah, no, no, it's it's okay. Yeah, it's it's the grossness and the dumbness kind of. Luckily, and I don't know if this is true for all eighteen-year-old boys. I think my grossness and dumbness kept me from being into too much trouble because I was too gross and dumb to be around. Oh, <laughs> yeah. All the all the trouble that I could have gotten into was like, it was protective it for was, you. It was a protective layer of grossness and dumbness. Oh my I think gosh. for me and my buddies, yeah. Because by the time that we, like, smartened up and washed up, we were able to get the world okay. Wow, that's great. <laughs> yeah. I should I should be hoping for more of that. Yeah, you know, like, ev- evolutionary-wise, uh, this is the time when men are in war. So this is for years. So we've always had, like, a drill sergeant over us to watch us. They're like, ah, go burn off your energy fighting with swords right, for a yeah. while. Yeah, new world just has to deal with us. <laughs> that's really interesting. Good way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, well, that's helpful. Thank uh, you. Th- no problem, no problem. Thank I was, you. I was extremely gross and dumb. I felt like this was pretty good. If you if you sound like you could use a little help, or, or, I should actually ask this first. Are you, are you accepting clients? Um, well, I, I encourage people to call because... The kind of therapy that I do is not long term, so there, are, you know, I can I can never predict when I'll have openings. So please call, reach out to me. Okay, yeah, and that is JoannaHardis.com, mm-hmm. uh, CBT.CLE yep. on Instagram, which yes. I also encourage you to uh, to give a follow to because yes. it's. I feel like it is a nice message in the Instagram scroll, Thank especially. Especially, what about social? And I, I, I'm sorry, I know you're walking your dog. Just go past your house a little bit. Uh, what about social media anxiety? Uh, being being a therapist for 25 years, you've seen you've seen the effect. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the effect? I, I don't know the data. Well, I know the data for, for teenagers. There's certainly more anxiety and depression. I guess I'm looking. Yeah, we, we can all. You can Google the data. Yeah. I'm looking for. You for, know, I uh, think there's pros and cons. I mean, I think if you're someone who's anxious, who's going to look at social media and compare yourself, and compare how you're feeling inside to someone's curated outside, social media could be terrible. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just a. T- it can be a time suck. It can be a massive, a fertilizer for your anxiety. Mm. You know, that being said, I think there's it can be tremendously helpful because there's great free content. So, you know, there's free content, there's free guided meditations, there's free meditation. You know, there's never been so much free information. Yeah. We have the sum of human knowledge at our fingertips. Yes. And that's both great and terrible. Exactly. And I mean, I know for my field, clinicians are putting free stuff up, which they've never done and not charged since COVID. And, you know, I think for people who are really trying to get better, it can be really helpful. Um, I think if you're struggling, I think it's all about, you know, what I ask clients all the time is what's the function of the behavior? 
So if if you're if you're doing it to try to get more sure about something or get trying to get rid of a feeling, it's probably not great. If you're doing it because you're really trying to you know further your recovery, it could be really helpful. That's that's really great advice to end on, and also kind of true of dogs. Do uh, do it for the right reasons, and don't. Mm. Uh, don't do it for the Instagram likes. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Do it. Uh, do it uh, organically. Uh, yeah. So reach out to Joanna JoannaHardis.com uh, if you're feeling or if you, if you know somebody who can who can deal with it. Anxiety is a it's a real crusher, and we're uh, we're dealing. But it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have, have to, to be. be. It doesn't have to be. It's a fact of life that we all got to deal with. Right. So start. Start dealing with it. Right. Um, yeah. And if you happen to need any dog training, or if you have a dog going through uh, some anxious issues, I'm here too, life coach for dogs. And, uh, you know, if you, chewing is actually a good anxiety reliever with the Bark Box Super Chewer Box affiliate in the link. Uh, thank you so much, Joanna. I thank appreciate you. you being here. Thank you to Jeremy and Golden Ox Studio. Check out the rest of the Golden Ox fine family of podcasts as soon as Jeremy updates the website. All right. See you later. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you.